Oh, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee. This is Play by Play with me. I am the me, M-E. The play by play under normal circumstances is provided by my guests, and we welcome you to Volume 1, Episode 11. What better timing than to have the voice of the Red Bulls on radio. Matt Harmon is with us, my buddy, for years and years and years. We've worked together and side by side, and I'm glad you're well, Mr. Harmon. I hope the family is, too. Mark, it's good to talk to you. Good to catch up, obviously. And uh, yeah, it, it, it is crazy. And ironically enough, I was talking the other day about uh, how I had first started back at the old days of Shadow on Bloomberg in 1998 with the Winter Olympics in Nagano and the need for 24-hour reports because of the time change. So it's good to kind of bring things full circle, and, and it's always good to catch up with you, my friend. And 22, of course, is a favorite number of both of us. 22 years, you're talking since uh, 1998. So uh, the family's well, I hope, yes? Yeah, I mean, as long as uh, everybody everybody doesn't climb the walls too much, but all things considered, uh, every, everybody is good. I mean, strange times, obviously, and very unique um hopefully it will be something that we will never have to deal with on this particular type of situation again um but in a lot of ways you know great great to be able to spend time at home catch up with everybody um before hopefully getting back to some sort of normalcy whatever that might mean in the near future right well we'll talk about uh, major league soccer and the red bulls in particular as we move along but um first i wanted to touch on you know this would be getting into the heart of your season. The last time I saw you was media day, right before the season kicked off. And um, aside from your day to day, and you're a busy guy, what with the Red Bulls and home games and road games and podcasts and teaching at Monmouth University, um, which is a challenge that we can uh, both relate to. And we'll talk about that later on as well. Um, Aside from the usual day to day, what are you missing the most? Oh, boy, Mark, that's such a good question. I mean, work-related, absolutely miss calling games. I mean, you know the the feeling. I mean, once you have that connection of just calling games every day, being at the arena, being around the players, being around the coaches, um, being able to know what it is you're doing, you know, relaying that excitement, energy, and information – off to the audience um and because it's been such a big part of my life um while in and then graduating college all the way back in the in the mid 90s you miss it you know and and because there is no real substitution even though you know you and i both have done the update thing for a really long time there's no substitution for being at a live sporting event um and being able to be part of it that that has definitely been a huge adjustment um, I actually found myself over the course of the weekend getting myself into some sort of um, broadcasting routine where just n- normal everyday kind of stuff, you just announce it in a different way just, just so that you can feel like, um, you know, having that kind of having that thrill of being able to, to, to call games again. It's something that I absolutely miss and can't wait to get back to. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, we, we see on SNY and yes, and ESPN and MSG, everybody's going back and showing games from the vault. Um, the Red Bulls going back to the Metro Stars days have been around for 20 plus years now. Do you find yourself going back and, and looking at some of the old games on video and, and doing a radio call as you rewatch those? Yeah, it's been fun, right? I mean, if there's one kind of cool thing that's come out of this, it, it has been 
uh, in a way, and even and even for my family here at home, whether it's my wife or my kids, like watching stuff together that took place back in the day. Um, you know, for 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 example, um, I grew up a huge Celtics fan in the '80s, so being able to watch those games, those Celtic Laker games in the 84 85 type season um and being able to talk to my kids about it and obviously there's been so much attention about the michael jordan chicago bull documentary that's going on right now i mean we've made a point of watching that together as a family so it's been really fun to be able to be able to connect that way um but yeah from a soccer perspective mark it's been great to be able to watch some of the old games go back to 1996 when Major League Soccer first started, um, I was someone who followed the Metro Stars back then, made the transition to when it became the New York Red Bulls. Um, so again, just just remembering some of those moments that took place at Giant Stadium with a whole different feel to the league than there is right now. It, it, it has been fun. Um, and I do to completely answer your question. Yeah. I, if it's a more recent game, like something from 2015 on, I can definitely put myself back in the booth and remember what it was like to be at some of those games and um, reminisce a little bit about calling them and thinking about, hey, how was that goal call? You know, you can you can certainly find stuff now on social media and you can go back and look at it. Um, so from that perspective, it's been good, although um, it, it's it's starting to wear just a little bit thin, if you know what I mean. Well, we got word earlier in the week that Major League Soccer was going to try and have teams back on the training fields as early as today. And I know that a lot of that is dependent on whether the cities that those teams call home are quote-unquote open for business. And obviously the Red Bulls playing here in New Jersey, the NYCFC based at Yankee Stadium in the Bronx with their training facilities in New York State. Um, probably a little bit different situation than some of the other franchises uh, in the league. So today was supposed to be one of those red-letter days, if you will. Um, what do we know about the Red Bulls and FC getting back to work today? Well, obviously, I can't speak for New York City. Um but I know from a Red Bull perspective, at least my understanding is, you know, just like anywhere else going on in the United States and probably worldwide, the idea of, of hey, let's try and get back to normal a little bit sounds great. But obviously any state local restrictions are going to override whatever Major League Soccer or any particular league is going to do. Um, the, the way that I understand it, at least right now, I, I, I don't believe that the Red Bull training facility is open for players to come in. Um, I've had the opportunity over the course of the last, let's say, month or so to do some different social media stuff, podcasts like we're doing right now, uh, video chats. Um, so I, I know that the players are engaged and they are working out. They're doing stuff remotely, um, both individually and together. And I, and I love the fact that any, any and all of these leagues are trying to get themselves back to normal. But I, I, I think from a case of the hardest hit areas, New York, New Jersey, certainly right at the top of the list, um, I would imagine it's going to be a, a little bit of time for uh, some of those players to get themselves back to the training facility. The season was in its very early stages. As I mentioned, I saw you on media day 
in Harrison at Red Bull Arena. And, you know, one of the big stories of that day is that just that morning, in fact, Sean Davis had been named the team's new captain. And I'm thinking about a guy like him. You know, we hear all these stories about athletes whose seasons have been canceled. Um, you know, some of the the uh, the spring athletes who never had a chance to take the field or whatever surface of play they're involved with. But I, I'm thinking of, of a guy like Sean, who was so thrilled to be named the captain, and he's had obviously no team to captain for these last two months. You know, it's interesting, uh, Mark, when you say it that way, because, you know, listen, we had two weeks of the season, um, and obviously the preseason before that in Florida for a few weeks, in Arizona for a couple weeks, plus the two games, a win over Cincinnati, the draw in Utah, which turned out, at least for right now, to be the 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 halting point week two of the MLS season. And I think for Sean, he has done a really good job of captaining the team through this. He's been a face of the organization. He's done a lot of media stuff. Uh, just the other day, a local paper down here in Monmouth County, the Asbury Park Press, he, he wrote a column about trying to get things back to normal. Um, and where in essence, he hasn't necessarily been on the field. I really think in a lot of cases, he's, he's developing leadership skills because of the situation that you, you probably wouldn't in any other scenario and circumstance be able to develop so that when he comes back to it, I, I think he's going to step right in. I mean, he's, he's the story that major league soccer, uh, one of the stories that major league soccer wants to be all about a homegrown kid who came up through the system signed his pro contract, played at the USL, then the MLS. Now he's the captain of the team. He, he should be the poster boy for Major League Soccer in a lot of ways, the, the homegrown type uh, academy up through the ranks system. But from a leadership standpoint, I actually think he's done a great job of trying to, to engage with the fans, engage with the community, um, still be out there for people to see if that makes sense. Yeah, you make some really good points. Um, best case scenario, do you think the season starts on or around July 1st? And if so, do they just pick up where they left off and consider the games missed canceled? How, how do you see things shaking out for MLS? Wow, that's a great question, uh, Mark, and certainly one that even in just text messages back and forth amongst you know the the crew um, that we've all kind of debated. And if you would, if you would say to me right now in the first part of May, would you be okay with the season resuming the beginning of July? I would sign for that in a heartbeat because um, I'm not sure if you saw the latest news today that in Germany, the Bundesliga is actually going to try and start within the next like two weeks. Mm -hmm. So are we going to learn things about how games operate over the course of, of what they do? Probably. Um, I mean, you'd have to think, right. That even, though the season had started in March. So we're about eight weeks removed from when that second week of the season was how, how quick can players get themselves back up and going? Is it, is, is it a month? Is it six weeks? I, you know, I think if you said by June 1st, you can start to train again, maybe do some closed door type scrimmages, some exhibition games, a friendly here or there. Could the season get back up and going by that like 4th of July beginning part um, of, of the true summer months, boy, Mark, I, I hope so. And I think that I don't think it's unrealistic to think that that could be the case. Um, because over the course of the next 
let's say 30 days, you have to think that there's going to be more testing. There's going to be a better plan in place. You're going to figure out, are we doing games behind closed doors or with limited fans? Um, and I think the idea that Germany is going to try this, hopefully in the next 10 days, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing to see how it plays out. Because if it works there, you'd have to think that there's no reason that it couldn't work somewhere else in Europe. And if it's going to work somewhere else in Europe, can it work here in the United States as well? Right. I hope so. Well, you brought me right into my next question as a broadcaster and where you are perched on top of Red Bull Arena, practically, it's not exactly, you know, that you're in close proximity to the fans. So if they do allow even a limited fan base, how would you personally feel about broadcasting in an open space where you usually are? Do you think you'd be, I mean, I would think you'd be less exposed or, or less uh, susceptible to exposure, but, but how would you feel about, you know, this is your decision you have to make. I mean, personally for me, I'd have no problem with it. I would feel a hundred percent safe because of the leadership and the management that not just the New York Red Bulls have, but the other teams in the league and major league soccer in totality that boy, if you're going to do this, you, you know, Mark, the easiest way for me to say it is if you're going to do it, you can't get it wrong, if that makes sense. Like, if you're going to commit to playing games and opening up on whatever level that is, you better make sure that it's safe for everybody to walk in the door. For me, I can almost envision a, a different path. When I usually walk in the media gate, I'll usually make a left, go down to the locker room, do our coaches interview, say hello to a couple of the coaches, the players, whoever might be in that area. That probably won't take place for the remaining part of this year. So instead, it'll be make a quick left, go to the elevator or take the stairs, go to the sixth floor and really don't interact with anybody. And I'm okay with that because I, I think just from the idea of trying to get back to some sort of normalcy will be really important. And especially if there are either none or limited fans, the idea of, of being able to share that story from a, from a play-by-play -play perspective to me becomes all that more normal um, and more important. And I, and I wouldn't, to, to go back and answer your question, um, I would have nothing but confidence if not just the league, the Red Bulls, any other team decides we're going to do this, I'm okay with walking back in the door. We've seen the last couple of days Korean baseball on live TV here in the States on ESPN where the broadcasters are doing play-by-play -play in color from their respective homes, watching on a monitor, no fans in the stands. And, you know, to me... Japanese baseball, Korean baseball, um, a little bit more rabid reactions from the fan base, a lot like you see at Red Bull Arena. So I'm wondering, how do you think the players would feel about, you know, going at it, playing regular season games in front of an empty house? Mark, does anybody want that to be the case? I don't think so. Um, you know, even in the even in the worst away type scenario, you'd probably think to yourself, I would sign for somebody from New York City, Philadelphia, D.C. United, any other Red Bulls, bigger rivals screaming and yelling at you um, because they don't want you to win the game because they're 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 supporters of the other team. But the alternative of playing games without fans in the stadium, uh, not only do you get yourself essentially back to work and some sort of normalcy for you as an individual player, coach, 
staff member, whatever that might be, media person uh, like we are, but you might be providing people with such needed forms of distraction, such needed forms of just entertainment and information. I mean, listen, you, you and I both work at, at colleges and we teach classes that are sports related. Think back to September 11th and how important it was for sports to resume and people to come together. Now, the idea of coming together probably won't happen, but the idea of just being able to use that as a distraction or a form of entertainment, I don't think that is something that can be understated or maybe in some cases overstated because to me, it is massively important that people have that because sports is such a big part, a big part of what we do here in the United States and worldwide. Yeah, you make excellent points. This is why I'm glad I'm having you on and we're having this chat. Um, let's dive into the Matt Harmon story a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, our paths, as you mentioned before, crossed a little more than 20 years ago. Um, take us back to the beginning when you were growing up, young Matt Harmon. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, so funny that you bring that up. Um, because my, my path to being a broadcaster, certainly like anybody else is unique. Um, you know, growing up busy as a, as an athlete involved in multiple sports, as I got a little bit older, narrowed it down to football, um, had the opportunity to play a couple of years of, of college football before, um, a, a fairly significant shoulder slash back injury and in college just couldn't couldn't figure a way to say, okay, I guess I'm just not part of that anymore. Um, so found like a lot of people would the college radio station, it became an outlet for me to still be involved with sports wrote for the college newspaper, um, and found my, and found really a, a passion just being involved with it from that perspective and leading into it. If you, if you would have asked me, Growing up, what did I foresee myself doing? I mean, like probably most people, you look at what your your dad or your mom or your parents or somebody that you're involved with do. I mean, my dad was a phys ed health teacher coach for a long time. I would have said I would have liked, loved to have gotten involved with coaching. And probably if I would have kept playing, I could have found that path. But um, despite all the little bumps and bumps and uh, nooks and crannies in the road, I wouldn't have trade, traded what I've done over the course of the last 20, 25 years since I graduated Monmouth in um, 1996 for anything, because it's it's really been a pleasure to be involved with teams, coaches, other broadcasters, having different experiences. Um, it, it, it's been it's been awesome in a word. And um, did you want to be a soccer radio play by play guy or is that something that came to you along the way? Uh, it probably came to me along the way. And, you know, ironically, when I um, became a student broadcaster at Monmouth, I mean, obviously we did football, men's and women's basketball, like most other schools do. Um, but I, I always kind of envisioned what else can we do? You know, what is there something else out there? And um, as the as the sports director of my college radio station in the mid 90s, I can remember pitching we should be doing soccer. Um, my, my household was a sports household, but my, my father, God rest his soul, my father was a college soccer player, was a longtime uh, soccer coach at the high school level. He and I coached together. Um, when I actually stopped playing football, he said, why don't you come and work with me and you can 
um, make a couple bucks and be involved with, with a different sport for a little while to take your mind off not playing football anymore. Um, so that kind of opened the door. And ironically enough, the Mammoth women's soccer team back in the mid nineties, uh, was, was ultra talented mm. had Christy Pierce, now Christy Rampone, um, of the U S women's team was smack dab in the middle of her career. So it was almost like, wow, we have all this talent. Let's give it a shot. We wound up calling a couple of, of games, women's soccer games on the radio back then. Um, and then I kind of realized, you know, there, there, there's probably more to it than just football and basketball. Was there any particular play by play announcer that you grew up idolizing, emulating, styling yourself after um you know it, i have so many students that ask me this question um and i always try and give the answer of don't don't be anybody but yourself right isn't that what we're supposed to tell right. people yeah um because you don't want to be somebody else you don't want to fake it and and it is kind of weird i mean i mentioned being a celtics fan growing up here um in the middle of nick's sixer country depending on where where you lie in the state of new jersey um funny I mean, that you I, don't mention the nets yeah well that's it's true sad. and that's too, that's true it's sad um they went to two know, finals much more recently than the knicks i know they did i know they did but from a broadcasting perspective like who didn't who didn't love listening to marv albert growing up right you know um and not necessarily you know listen there there'll never be another one um but the things that i think that i took from him would be always sounding prepared, always sounding excited, always engaging with the audience. So those would be the kind of things, um, you know, I, I grew up listening and, and watching the Knicks games because they were always on. And obviously the cable TV world was so different in the 80s and 90s growing up as opposed to it is now where you, you couldn't watch the Celtics other than if they were on CBS in the 80s and NBC in the 90s. Um, so you kind of took what you could get. Plus, you know, I, I always found it still a treat when he would do a New York Rangers game and be able to listen to it from that perspective. Um, having fun watching the Yankees growing up on, at that point, Channel 11, before they kind of moved around a little bit and listening to their old voices. So, yeah, I mean, I t you try. I've always tried to say, can you take little bits and pieces of a lot of different people and it might not always be things you like, Mark. It might be things that you don't like about the way that people go about their business. Um, and then you and then you kind of try and develop your own style uh, because I think that's really important. Another excellent point. Um, you mentioned cable TV. Uh, your work has been featured on Verizon Fios and other cable outlets. Um, before you got the Red Bulls gig, um, what what do you think was the job that set you on the path toward that? The job that set me on the path to Red Bull. Um, it is, it is kind of unique that you, in that question, you mentioned Verizon Fios because that connection at Fios, um, someone who I had worked with there led me to the Red Bull job. Um, so that, that actually turned out to be a really important connection that I made. Um, I mean, listen, it, it didn't hurt. I don't think, and, and I think you would be someone who could agree with this as well, even though not necessarily play by play, the fact that, um, having a, a presence, whatever that might mean in New York city on stations like Bloomberg, 
wins um, at a time on CBS, at a time when we used to at Shadow do sports for for WABC. Um, Having all those having all those connections and hooks, something that always helped because it it showed that you were um, talented enough, I guess, for lack of a better term to be involved with the number one media market in the world. So that, that definitely helped open some doors for me. Um, But then, you know, even at the smaller level, doing stuff for high school sports, as long as I have doing stuff at uh, Monmouth university for as long as I have. So my, I'll say portfolio, even though that has a different meaning for what we do Mm -hmm. broadcast wise, my portfolio was, was pretty wide and varied. And I, I think one of the things that was always nice for me coming up through the business and I still talk about it in my classes today is don't say no to anything because you never really know where that opportunity is going to bring you. Right. Right. Um, all the sports you've had a chance to call over the years and obviously your number one these days is soccer for the Red Bulls on Red Bull radio. Uh, what's your favorite sport to call though? Uh, it's, it's, it's soccer now, Mark. Um, just because I'm so ingrained with it. I mean, listen, I, I played football at Monmouth and I still do their games. Um, so I have that special feeling and connection to Monmouth football um, now and probably forever. It, it's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And it's something that I hope that I can do going into the future for a really long time. Um, the, the connection I still have with who was my coach back in 1993 when Monmouth started football to now in 2020, seeing the success that the program has been able to have the last couple of years, call a playoff game, that kind of stuff has been amazing. Um, but the, some of the opportunities that working with the Red Bulls provides, um, going to these different cities, going to different stadiums and arenas, and um, being able to say that you're one of, you know, depending on what year you're looking at, you're one of 20 something people who are involved as a professional soccer broadcaster at the major league soccer level in this country is something that, that um, is, is not only something that makes me pretty happy to say it's, it's quite humbling as well. Yeah. Before we get back to the broadcasting part, I do need to ask you as a soccer broadcaster, um, what do we need to do? And it seems like I've been asking this question for the 25 years now that MLS has been around, but what do we need to do here in the United States to get soccer to be as popular as it is in so many other countries around the world? You know, this, this, um, this question comes up all the time. Right. Um, and I, and I hate to, this, this is not meant to sound as a defeatist attitude. I also, I'm actually saying with nothing but sincerity, I actually feel like stopping the conversation about it might be, might be super (laughs) helpful. Um, And I don't mean that disingenuous at all to you or anybody else that brings it up, but understanding that here in the United States, we have other sports that places don't have. And it doesn't mean that soccer isn't important. It doesn't mean that soccer isn't popular, but how could you, how could you compare the United States to England, France, Germany, Italy, South America, even uh, a country like Mexico, how could you compare it with those places when they don't necessarily have, number one, the NFL, 
They don't have the popularity that even college sports probably do. Um, and even though most countries have their own basketball league, they don't have the players that the NBA does. The right. NHL, the same thing. Baseball, the same thing. I mean, America in and of itself for, for every sport is essentially the hub for what goes on worldwide. Um, and, and, I, and I do think soccer is, is massively important to this country. And I think it's extremely popular. But I would also be among those who would say, if we stop trying to compare it to every other sport and just let it grow organically and naturally, I think you'd find in, in another decade where the, the soccer landscape continues to change and teams, uh, cities still wanting teams and expansion continuing. Um, I think soccer is in a really good place right now in this country. And maybe, maybe I'm in the minority, um, but I actually have, have grown in my years, especially working with the Red Bulls and with Major League Soccer. I've actually grown a little tired of everybody saying, how come soccer is not popular? Or, or even when you say, hey, I work for the New York Red Bulls, the professional soccer team in the area, and not everybody still kind of knows about it. That's something that probably bothered me five years ago in 2015. I, I don't even let it throw a little hitch in my step anymore in 2020. Yeah, I just think that it, it's, to me, it's sad that, you know, people look at, and I wasn't trying to denigrate Major League Soccer by any no, stretch. I, Mark, I, I know you weren't, because I know you're a huge fan of the game as well. Love it. Um, and I didn't always love it, but I, but I have grown to love soccer. Listen, you know, I grew up in the Cosmos era, so, you know, Canalia and Shep and, and Beckenbauer and uh, Pele and, you know, that whole crew, Ricky Davis, and, you know, again, uh, you know, I could go back and, you know, Jim Carvelis and Seamus Mallon doing the games on TV and radio, uh, you know, that that's where my love for soccer um, began to grow and, you know, carry it forward and, you know, and you help and, and, and Kanji and, and uh, you know, J.P. Della Camera and, and all the great announcers that we have across the country who are calling uh, Major League Soccer. And I don't want to slight Dave Leno, who we've had on the on the podcast, too. Uh, who does the union games uh, backing up JP. But, I, you know, it, it, it sticks in my craw, and I'm thinking back to a conversation that I had on a media day years ago with Josie Altidore, who at that point was, you know, the number one guy on the Red Bulls. And the conversation took a turn to, you know, would you rather be a big fish in a little pond, meaning a megastar in MLS, or would you settle for being a goldfish in the Premier League, and we saw that, you know, once Hull came calling and he was able to go to England, there he went. Um, and by the same token, what we get back on the world stage is, you know, Twilight David Beckham, as great as he was for the sport in the country, playing in L.A., but, you know, we haven't really gotten the transcendent star at the height of his career to choose Major League Soccer and life in the United States in the soccer atmosphere as opposed to any of the other big stages. And I'm wondering, you know, if there's anything we can ever do to get somebody, you know, some transcendent, can we ever get Pele again to come? And he wasn't even in the, the prime of his career when he was a Cosmo, but can we get a Pele type? You know, can we ever get a Messi to play in the United States in his prime? I, th I th If you're asking me that question, point blank, I would tell you yes. Um, and I would say that, listen, for the, and it's been funny, we, we were talking earlier about 
watching old games. Um, you know, in the in the mid '90s when Major League Soccer started, it was it was with just ten teams at that point. Right. I mean, you were you were taking guys um, who might have been actually closer to the prime of their career and paying them way more than you would the bottom of your roster. Now it's probably balanced itself out a little bit, and I and I do think you're finding. Um, I do think you're finding the league itself try and get younger players that come up through the system. You know, the, the argument has been, is, is major league soccer a buying league or is it a selling league? And um, I think by definition that necessarily hasn't been figured out. Um, and I think one of the other things, you know, to, to, to think of your question as a whole Major League Soccer is only 25 years old. You know, this right. this was the 25th season. So it's still very young. And the the world of soccer, you mentioned the Cosmos. I, Mark, I, I grew up on the back end of that, um, you know, being born in the, in the mid-70s. I can remember the buzz that the Cosmos had and the importance of that. I mean, that was definitely a pretty unique situation. And the North American soccer league wound up folding in the mid eighties. And then you're talking about essentially right from a historical standpoint from the mid eighties, all the way through 1996, there was really no top tier of professional soccer in this country. Right. So for the people like you, like me, that might like the game, we grew up for our, our, our kind of formative years of what sport you're going to pay attention to without anything to watch. And to me, that's something that doesn't get talked about enough because there there's, there's been no catch up period. You can't go back and put a good soccer league in the United States in the late eighties, early nineties. It's just not possible because you, you, you can't erase time. Um, but from the idea of I'm in my mid forties, um, not having that connection to a sport for essentially 12 years, that's hard. And if you look at the demographics right now of Major League Soccer, they're trending towards younger fans. And I think that's going to be really important because fans that were born in the 90s and now come up through the 2000s and now all the way to 2020, it's ingrained in them where maybe for you and I, it wasn't necessarily ingrained, even though you liked the sport and paid attention. I can remember um, – begging my dad to let me skip, skip school so I could stay home and watch the 94 World Cup during the day um, because I was that big of a fan. But I just didn't have it in my face every day like Major League Soccer is now in everybody's face. So I think people say, well, you've had 25 years to make a dent. I think Major League Soccer has made a huge dent in this country and is now ingrained with a whole generation of people that it wasn't through the late 80s and early 90s. Right. Well, it was, to my memory, it was that 94 World Cup with games in Giant Stadium um, and obviously across the country, the final in the Rose Bowl, that, that helped to launch Major League Soccer. It took a couple of years for it to actually um, get underway. But um, the World well, Cup... Rem Mark, Mark, remember too, yeah. the United States doesn't get the 94 World, World Cup unless they agree to we will have a professional league. Right. I mean, right. they, they went part and parcel like, okay, we're going to give you this, but it's not going to be a one and done. If you want the United States to be a soccer country, you guys need to get yourself a league. So yeah, it took a couple of years after that, but you know, the, the idea of we're going to grant you the 94 world cup without 
the United States and without those people that were really important to the soccer landscape back in the mid 90s. And my my radio partner, Steve Jolly, he's a perfect one because he was there in the beginning of all this. Chris Armas, who's the Red Bull coach, he was there in the beginning of all this. I mean, those guys would tell stories upon stories about getting the league up and going. But there is no Major League Soccer without the World Cup and there is no World Cup without Major League Soccer. Right. Well, it, it the reason I brought that up is because we have one coming back, albeit still a few years away. What sort of impact do you foresee the next U.S., let's call it North American World Cup, having on the soccer leagues? Um, I, I think it could be the launch point for, I mean, listen, especially Mark, after all this stuff right now, where you're, where you're losing seasons and you're losing games and people are just dying for sports um, to know that the world cup is, is coming back to this area. Even if you want to say North America between the United States, Canada, and Mexico. um, I think it, I think it could be huge. I think it could be big for major league soccer. You've seen major league soccer um, try and do, more competitive games with Liga MX because there's a connection there. Liga MX, extremely popular in the United States. Well, can Major League Soccer be extremely popular or even popular in Mexico? I think it can, but there has to be that connection. I know a lot of people don't like that. For me, if there's an opportunity to put your teams, your players, and your league um, on display right now, still 25 years in, you take it and you run with it. Um, and again, it's one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now, most people on their Twitter sites always say opinions are my own. These are my own opinions. These are my own personal, personal feelings. I, I, I think major league soccer is in a good place. Um, I think they're in a good place to continue to grow. I think from the expansion side of things, I, I think they should probably limit it right now to where you are and and kind of cut it off i mean everybody always talks about promotion relegation is that going to make soccer more popular in the united states don't know the answer to that i think it's a good debate um but i don't know the answer to that question i think there are some things that are inherently unique to major league soccer here in this country like being on essentially a different calendar than most of the rest of the world um you know, can, can you can you balance that a little bit? And I don't know. I mean, in essence, Mark, it, it goes back to my original point. What sport do you want to compete against? Because no matter when your season is, soccer is a longer season than just about everybody else because right. of the, the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. What sport do you want to compete against? And, and when can you get people to be interested? Nobody's going to New England or Toronto to watch any of those teams play, let alone New York City, New York Red Bulls, nobody's going to watch those games in the middle of February when it's 20 degrees out. So I think there could be some creative ways for Major League Soccer to schedule things to start maybe a little bit earlier and inch closer to the calendar that the rest of the world is on. But, I mean, Major League Soccer is trying to do their own thing. And, and, and I think that they have to be respected for that instead of always and and thinking again can it grow organically the influence of the league for a lot of people they just and it's human nature in a way isn't it you just jump to the negative we do it in the media you jump to the negative because it's usually more fun and more controversial to talk about the positive look at look at how well the league has actually done in a lot of ways of developing players 
And if you are going to be a selling league, you know, I, I think Don Garber and Major League Soccer, not to speak for them, if you're selling players to Germany, England, and Italy, France, Spain, hey, you know what? Your league's in a really good place mm-hmm. then, yep. you know, and then and then balance the scales back. I mean, use the Red Bull roster as an example. We have a player, Josh Sims, who's back for a second year on loan from Southampton. Hey, maybe there's more connections that can be done in that regard where there's more, you know, shared services in essence. Maybe the fact that Major League Soccer is on a different calendar might attract younger players like that to come to the league and season themselves a little bit. Maybe not be here for five, six, seven years, but maybe they're here for a couple of years and, and it helps the league grow overall. All right, I want to jump back in the time capsule for a second. Red Bulls born as the Metro Stars. 1996. Do you remember the first game you went to? I definitely, I can't tell you exactly what game it was, though I I know I went to a couple of games in 96. Um, you know, like they had, they had the first game that the team won the other day. They, they replayed that. It was like the fourth game of the season in 96. I know I wasn't at that, but with, without question, I can remember being at games in those early 90s. Um, and being a giant stadium and you know you mentioned Beckham before I can remember going to that game and what an event was and what an amazing atmosphere and turned out to be one of the more entertaining games and I know that's that's further into league's history um, but listen making the trek up the giant stadium as a, as a 22 23 24 year old in in those late mid mid to late 90s it was something I loved doing with friends because it was because in a way it was something different, right? It was it was trying to um, find people that were like-minded, that loved soccer, and there was certainly a lot of them around and used that platform of the 94 World Cup to try and be at something from from the beginning. Um, because how many, how many brand new sports leagues are gonna come into the United States and have lasting power that you could say yeah, I remember going to Metro Stars games in 1996. I, I I still think it's it's pretty cool to be able to say that. Pretty sure it was at the home opener, and if memory serves, they lost. I think it was against New England, and New they England. may have lost on an own goal. Does that sound right? It does. It does. There's been there's been documentaries that have been done uh, about that, and and you know the the curse that still exists in some way over the over the franchise i think that's a little a little overblown but um it is fun to kind of go back and 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 watch just um in a way how how different and unique this organization's path has been um but in saying that and again people will say well you're you're the radio guy for the for the red bulls um from 2015 all the way all the way through even 2020 i mean Look at the building that the Red Bulls play in. Red Bull Arena is oh, a first class. It is a first class. It's building. a palace. Um, I love and, it there. And, and still, even like a decade in, um, it's it's still amazing to walk into that building every day, and the academy that they've been able to develop, the people that have been associated with um, the team over the course of the last five years. I, I was talking with my one of my son's soccer coaches. And 
they were doing like a question and answer thing. And he wanted me to be included because I still kind of help manage and, and oversee the team a little bit. And, and some of that dealt with like, who, who have your, been your influences in soccer? And I made like different connections. I actually brought up some of watching the Cosmos as a kid and made it a connection to my dad. And I also said some of the people that I have been able to associate with in the last five, now six years with Red Bull, whether it's Mark de Grand Prix, who's the general manager of the team, um, whether it's Joe Stetson, who's kind of in charge of all of our broadcast communication stuff to the guys like Jason Baum, who used to be there and Gordon Stevenson, who's still there. The coaches who have been so welcoming and opening to us and what we do radio wise, we have an amazing situation, whether it was Jesse Marsh, now Chris Armas, all the assistant coaches that have been a part of that. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's almost, and, and again, Steve Jolly, who's my radio partner, he laughs sometimes. He's like, you, you have no idea talking to me. You have no idea how lucky we are with the access that we get. Um, yeah. and it, and it, and in a lot of ways, Mark, it makes our job not only really fun, but really easy. By the way, you talked about that first win and just to complete the thought, uh, I looked it up May 16th, 96, three, nothing over Colorado. And all three goals scored by Gio Savarese. Yep, still, still, still kicking right now in Major League Soccer, right? As, as, uh, as a coach, yeah. you know, the, and and those are really those are really great connections to make with the league. Guys that played in the beginning stages of the league that are still associated with um, a team, a franchise, whatever it might be, the league. In essence, I mean, we have one in Chris Armis, right? I mean, right. Go, go back to the to the mid to late 90s, all the way through the 2000s. Chris Armas was a dominant soccer player for first the Galaxy, then Chicago. Um, and he's a guy who, who essentially lives and breathes with Major League Soccer. And I think those connections are really amazing for the league to have, that now you're getting the generation that started the league in 96 to be involved with the league here in 2020. And to tie it all together, Gio was also the coach of the Cosmos when they were reborn a few years ago out at Mitchell Field on Long Island. So I always got a kick out of that, that, you know, no pun intended, of course, um, that guys who, you know, have been involved in the, um, the evolution, if you will, of this league are still not only involved, but also have ties going back to the old North American Soccer League, too. And that's what you want, I think, in order for the league to continue to grow. You want the Geos, you want the Chris Armises still involved with the league because they had a vested interest in it when it first started and went through um, some some dark times, right? I mean, you know, you, listen, you and I started working together when I came to then Shadow in 1998. And there were certainly a lot of times from 98 through those early 2000s where it was kind of hit or miss whether or not major league soccer would be around for another year right. and obviously everybody points to beckham which was huge but there's a lot of other things that happened for the league in order for it to make sure that it was still around um before beckham arrived because you know ask any of those ask anyone who was involved in the late 90s there were certainly times where you would have thought the league is not going to be here for another season yeah well i'm glad it is and i know you are because you get a paycheck out of it <laughs> you get a paycheck but yeah but but to me and Mark, but it's also do, something you, that you love yeah, i mean it's I mean, a sport listen, you, you love and yeah you do things the same reason that i do things it's because yes i mean obviously there's a financial 
part of it, but you do it because you love it. You do it because you want to be involved. You do it because you do feel like you're giving a um, service to somebody as a play-by-play person. I mean, I still try and go to every game with the mentality of somebody is listening to me because either they're on the road, they don't have the visual in front of them. Um, it's, it's, it's somebody's, you know, I mean, I, I've gotten emails over the course of the last five or six years. People in England listen to us. People in Asia have listened to us. People in uh, Central and South America have listened to us. They've reached out to me individually along with the team saying like, hey, we really appreciate this this radio opportunity for us to listen to the game because it is a different perspective than TV. Um, and it is still a service and a form of entertainment slash information that is really important um, for the league. And I, and I think, you know, go back to 2015 when we kind of started this recent um, – edition of Red Bull Radio, we, we we were at the time the only team that was doing the, the internet stuff, right? We were right. the only team that was on TuneIn. Now, you, now, five, six years later, teams have realized how important that extra media piece is, that extra coverage is. Um, and, and, you know, every time I go to a different city I, i'm i'm always happy to talk to the other broadcasters there and say hey what do you what do you have going on what are you doing what are you doing um and i think the league and and that kind of speaks to the growth of the league instead of saying let's think of ways to not spend money teams are looking at ways of let's increase our media capability and let's increase our social media capacity and let's increase our fan engagement um again to me that goes to the idea that the league is is in a good place. Is it in the best place? No. But I mean, Mark, if you asked, if you asked anybody from the NFL, they would tell you that they still have to grow the game. And that's the NFL. I mean, um, so major league soccer to me in 2020 is, is heading in a really, really good direction. Um, And God willing, you and I can, can do this in five more years and you can ask the same question and we'll have more things to talk about. And then we'll talk about it in another five years and another five years. Um, until they figure a way to kick kick at that point will be some of the old guys have it and bring right. some of the younger guys in. We've had a couple of supporter shields in Harrison. Um, one visit to MLS cup, if memory serves, um, when do we finally get a championship? Ooh, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, certainly have been close the last couple of years. I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the shields in 15, and 18 you can go back to 2013 as well and i mean listen the the playoff games have been heartbreaking and they have been gut-wrenching um but if you include 2013 all the way even to 2019 i'd be hard-pressed to tell you that there's a team that's been better in major league soccer during the regular season than the Red Bulls have, uh, because even even in there, you know, 2015, you win the Supporters Shield. 2016, you follow it up with an Eastern Conference Championship. You've been in the Champions League a bunch of times. Um, you've been able to do things that teams don't necessarily do. Go to Mexico and win a game in Tijuana during the course of the Champions right. League. Um, you know, ha- have opportunities to to grow and build the brand of not just the New York Red Bulls, but of soccer here in the United States and major league soccer. When does that championship come? Um, I mean, Mark, if I, if I could answer that question, I'd get paid a heck of a lot more (laughs) 
then you and I get paid for doing what we do. Right. Um, but I, I think that I think the organization is in a great place. And at the end of the day, for me, of course, you want to see the championship. But um, I, I always kind of look at it as at the other side of it as well. I, I always want to be a team that you feel like could win it. You know, you might not win it, but you always could. And I and I do think that that's where the Red Bulls are at right now. Um, I, I think this hopefully we'll be able to talk about that again this year. I think the team this year having, you know, a little bit of an up and down regular season in 2019, I think the team this year was going to surprise a lot of people um, because I saw them in preseason and I saw a little bit of a different mindset and mentality. And I saw the team taking steps roster wise to create some flexibility, which again, hopefully will come to fruition at some point. I think this year's team uh, was going to, was going to be, and hopefully still will be a team that's going to surprise some people as to how successful they are. Matty, how much does it help that there's a second team in town that they have a built-in rivalry now? Oh, um, you, obviously you're talking about New York city, right? Right. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's good. I think it's good for the area. Um, I will be honest with you, Mark. There, there was a couple of years. So from 2015 through now, obviously not counting this year, but um, out of the, out of the five years between 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, there were, I can't remember the year, but there was one year we essentially played them like four times in eight weeks. Um, Cause it was the three regular season games and there was an open cup game in there. Yeah. And I mean, man, it was just too much. It was like, it, it was overplayed is what it was. And, and you almost thought to yourself, I mean, you can't, I mean, at another point, you and I can talk about having us soccer redo the way the open cup gets done to maybe make it a little bit more exciting for people and make it the tournament that they envision. But um, I, I don't think, especially as the league grows and they got out of that last year, playing anybody more than three times in a regular season, is overkill um, because you want when New York and New York city play each other, when New York and DC United play each other, you want those games to be special, not just, Oh, it's another uh, city Derby uh, Hudson river Derby. However, big apple classico, big apple classico. (laughs) I know that was your thing, right? Um, I tried so hard. You want those games to be special. You don't want people to say, and some of it is schedule. And again, thinking of that one year, it was the three regular season games. It was like June, July, August. And then there was an open cup game in there. It was like, you were seeing the same team all the time. You, you, you know, spread them out a little bit. And I, and I think as the league gets bigger and as the league grows, obviously you're not going to play anybody. And the last two years have been this way. You're not going to play anybody more than twice in the regular season. If you see them in the open cup, you see them. If you see them in the playoffs, you see them. Um, but I, I mean, listen, I think it's good for soccer to have that built in kind of rivalry and the idea of having someone who is that close to you geographically. Is there room for a third MLS team in New York city? Um, I would categorically say, no, I don't think that would be a good idea. Um, and I don't, I mean, I'm imagining what you're envisioning somewhere on the Island or Queens. Yeah, if they I, want to I, do this thing over by City Field. Um, I don't know. I mean, until New York City decides actually where they're going to call themselves home, uh, other than Yankee Stadium, um, I, I don't think it would be a good idea. 
I, I think at that point, you can go to my original idea of playing somebody too much. I think it would just be overkill within the same area. I mean, that would, that would almost be like, I don't know, Mark, ask yourself this question. Does the area need another football team? No, but you know, everybody asked the question, we're going almost 40 years now since the Devils arrived from Colorado. And obviously, you know, hockey is not at the level of the NFL or Major League Baseball or even the NBA, which maybe could fit a third team in somewhere. But when the Devils showed up, you know, territorial claims by the Rangers and the Islanders, and I mean, it all eventually worked out to a degree, right? So I, I don't know. I, you know, I think at this point, you know, we're talking today is May 6th. And given the current climate and everything we're up against, that I, I think it's probably a bad idea to even think about expansion, um, especially adding any local teams that would cut into the disposable income and, and, and the, the revenue of the existing teams, which I think are going to have enough trouble, you know, after we get through this, um, you know, given the economic situation and, and everything else that's going on with all of the leagues that are shut down. So I think maybe we can table this discussion i just was curious to get your thoughts because it has been out there in the ether you know whether there would be a third team in the city yeah i mean i i'll i'm gonna stick with my answer until somebody comes up with a great and i mean amazing argument to convince me otherwise that putting a third team in major league soccer putting another nfl team putting another major league baseball team would be a great idea i mean it's just it, it doesn't make any sense um to your point in today's climate coronavirus notwithstanding i don't think it makes any sense um and i think the idea of of major league baseball back in the 50s with the giants dodgers and yankees it sounds very romantic and i'm sure it was incredible um but but i would imagine too if you actually dug into the numbers of it you'd probably you'd probably figure out why two of the teams left right i mean why the giants and the dodgers left and it's because of money so if that's going to be a concern, I, I think we have so many things to offer in this area with all of the sports and multiple teams. Um, I couldn't envision a scenario where Major League Soccer would add another one to the area. All right. As we wind this down, uh, you did mention earlier that uh, one of your uh, golden nuggets, if you will, is never say no to an opportunity. Um, if that is the best piece of advice you were ever given as an up-and-coming sportscaster, what do you think might be another piece of advice you would give to an up-and-coming sportscaster? Uh, there is no such thing um, of not preparing enough. And I've seen it both myself and I've seen it with students that I've had at Monmouth. Um, I, mean, I, I started teaching an adjunct class there, a sports broadcasting class, ironically, was the first class I ever taught in 1999 and i've seen it all the way through um students not realizing how important it is to prepare for what you're doing um and listen every once in a while you know as many stones as you try and uncover every once in a while you're going to be surprised with something that you thought you should have known that going into the game you didn't Uh, but so much of that is at your disposal to control um, so I always like to walk in thinking I still, I still am not completely prepared. Cause I, me personally, I don't believe that that exists. I don't believe you can, you can know everything about it, 
everybody. I agree. But did I do enough to, and I always think of it this way, because on the radio, what's your, what's your hope going into every game? That every game is exciting and that every game has interest to it. And the game itself is what carries the broadcast, but that's not always the reality. So if you have to go into, um, we, we make, I, I still make this joke when we have a, a high school game that I might still call, if a game like that gets out of hand, what's your B material? And then as the second half gets to what's your C material. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and, and a lot of that better be about the players, the teams, the coaches, um, the league, the area, you better know a little bit about what's going on and it can be some human interest stuff too. So on the road, um, you know, let's just say if I'm in, um, if I'm on the West coast, if I'm in Los Angeles, can I talk about something that I did during that day and feel like you're vested into that area? Um, I, I think it's a little bit more than just knowing all the X's and O's and how a guy ties his shoes, because I do think that there's that human element to it. But, um, I would say, don't say no to an opportunity and make sure that when you walk into a place, you can, you can breathe easy to the fact that at the very minimum, you are prepared to call the game. Okay, 20 plus years as a play-by-play guy, when you put the Matt Harmon highlight reel together, what is the first segment that goes on that reel? Wow. What, what's the play? That's, that's a, um, Mark, that's almost an impossible question. Um, I mean, obviously having so many great moments the last five years and some really, what I would, what I would term as pretty good goal calls for Red Bull. Um, I could definitely think of some of those. I'll go to the last couple of years of Monmouth football, having some amazing teams and games to call with that. Um, wow. If I had a goal to put in it or a touchdown, that would be, that would be hard pressed. And when you ask that question and we didn't talk about what we were really going to go through this in this, in this podcast, Mm -hmm. for whatever the reason, I would think to, um, 1996, believe it or not, calling the first time that Monmouth basketball ever made the NCAA tournament. That is still a memory that is inside me that every once in a while, I'll still talk about, I'll still bring it up. Um, Ironically enough, I still have the cassette tape of which it exists on. um, And I can remember being at that time. And this is really in a way how I realized how interested, engaged I was with wanting to be a broadcaster. In the spring of 1996, I was working as an intern at WFAN in Queens, in Astoria, in the old in the old building. Um, and obviously, they knew me and I knew them. So having these games, and they would oftentimes take the local call of somebody being excited, I can still remember having those calls be played on the fan and having people just randomly reach out to me. Like, was that your call on WFAN that I heard? And you're like, yeah, yeah, that was me. Um, and that was kind of where I fell in love with it. So from the, from the pure perspective of like the romantic idea of why you got involved with this, that would probably be something I would, I would throw in there though. It would never, ever, ever 
help me get a job because it was a it was a 22 year old who was screaming at the top of his lungs that Mammoth made the tournament for the first time. So we'll save the first slot for when the Red Bulls win MLS Cup. How's that? Uh, that sounds fantastic. The clincher. If not the clincher, then the final call. Uh, by the way, you brought up Monmouth basketball, and I was actually going to ask you where you think Ray Salnave is going to wind up. And while we were having this conversation, he actually tweeted out that he's narrowed his list to DePaul, Loyola, Marymount, and St. John's. Yeah, I mean, listen, for, for Ray, who I, who I do know, um, I've actually had him in, in class. Good kid. I mean, I would have loved to have seen him take the take the year at Monmouth. Um, obviously, he's he's looking around and seeing what other options are out there for him. Um, but I'm sure wherever he decides to go, he will be a welcome addition to um, that program. Because not only is he is he a good player, he's a he's a pretty good kid as well. I'm just thinking Chicago, New York City, Southern California. Mm. I know for you, you're mm. always going to say St. John's. You're mm. always going to err on the side of St. John's. Well, you know what? Um, not in this case. No. Loyola Marymount. You know, Loyola, and listen, you and I both remember when Loyola Marymount was a power. You know, Paul Westhead yep. and Paul Ball and, and uh, you know, Hank the great Gathers. teams he had. Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball. Bo Kimball, um, yep. Going back to those days. So, you know, if I could be the guy who would resurrect that program... It's definitely something I would consider, but you know the other side of that coin is if I can be the guy that helps St. John's get back to where we all think it should be, and you know playing closer to home and and you know being at the Garden on a regular basis, uh, you know that that may tilt the scales in the in the Johnny's favor, but you know that's I'm not Ray, so <laughs> I'm no, glad I don't no, have to no, make that decision. And honestly, nor am I. I mean. I guess in his particular case, um, as they say, it's nice nice to have the options and the doors open for you. Yeah. Um, last thing before we wrap up, um, or maybe the next to last thing, I'm thinking that when we get the all clear, and it's really an all clear and not one of these social distancing, go around with masks and gloves anyway, um, what do you imagine will be at the top of your to-do list? From a broadcast standpoint? No, from a life standpoint. Oh, man, Mark, just just be able to kind of enjoy life again in, in a way, right? I mean, um, again, being being home for the last couple of months, more home than not, like like anybody else is and should be right now. The, the time at home is invaluable because, you know, you have such a busy schedule. So being able to um, kind of just take advantage of things a little bit that maybe you couldn't in a normal situation is nice. Um, but just being able to talk and socialize and be involved with people again. I mean, you know, you, you walk into the food store right now and you're unsure. Do you say hello? Do you not say hello? Do you look down? Do you look up? Do you smile? Do you not smile? I mean, and in a lot of ways right now, you can't even, you don't even know what anybody's doing anyway, because a lot of people are wearing masks. Some people aren't, some people have gloves, some people don't. Um, so to, to me, it's just, it's just about you said with with no restrictions at all. It's it's just about feeling normal again, um, because I think that's that's something that at this particular point, two two months into this thing, here in the United States, I think people I hope people will come out of that with a real appreciation of um, you know, in a lot of ways how good life is. 
for the record, I have a, a generic um, face mask that I use a, a smiley face. But if I'm not in a good mood, it can also be a frowny face. Drama. Oh, so you can so you can go you can go either way. So I mean, people will know what kind of mood I'm in. Mark, listen, I, I I you know I hate to you know kind of break ground here with the listeners. I, I always kind of got that from you. You, you <laughs> walking in the door sometimes. I wasn't really hundred percent sure what I was going to get. No, kidding, no, kidding, you can kidding, always tell. Kidding. Kidding, kidding, obviously. Yeah, it, it's, it's always right there on my sleeve. And if not on my sleeve, it's right on my mug. So um, as, we, as we reminisce, and I know we're getting set to wrap up here, I, I was ironically talking about some of my first experiences um, with my family the other day, starting in 1998, and telling them what was Bloomberg known for doing our reports in the late 90s. Point spreads point spreads we that was our thing and the, and and people kind of looked at me like what are you talking about i'm like after every game it was plus 150 minus seven and a half and you had to literally teach me some of the sports that i uh, you know listen oh you, the you baseball follow. lines if i oh, didn't oh gosh it, it was crazy impossible you had to basically walk me through how to do that so that i didn't sound like a complete idiot you want to hear a funny story about that so I, I still have the Sports Illustrated page where I, I think they mentioned that that was the next sign of the apocalypse. Remember they used to do that? Yep. And so BBR, WBBR Radio was included in, in Sports Illustrated back then. It was 97 or 98 um, that this week's sign of the apocalypse is there's an all news. It was a business radio station, still is, it was giving point spreads. Now here's the story. So th soon after that came out, and this was now the summer of uh, 98. So McGuire and Sosa in their home run chase. I'm doing this baseball tour, right? I sat down that January, January of 98, with the New York Times, had printed every team's complete schedule on two full pages. And so I'm mapping out a trip where I can go one day to the next, to the next, to the next. For a week and a half, it turned out, that I wound up going to uh, 10 games, nine ballparks over 10 days. I remember. I remember this. And it I, had, started, I had started. Yeah, the the official start wound up being in Rochester for a Red Wings game, and then the night after that, I was in Toronto for Blue Jays Yankees, sitting in the upper deck of the Sky Dome, and the guys behind me, every time a score changed, they were talking about how much money they were winning or losing because they had wagered. And I turned around at one point and I said, "Hey, it's a shame you guys aren't from New York because we have a radio station that actually gives the point spreads now." And they said, yeah, we're from New York. And I said, oh, well, you have to listen to WBBR. And they said, we do. And I said, that's cool. You know who I am. So I introduced myself. We wound up hanging out the entire afternoon watching the Yankees and Blue Jays. And then after that, we were at uh, Wayne Gretzky's restaurant in downtown Toronto. But, you know, you talk about the power radio and how you have listeners uh, to Red Bulls radio reaching you from all corners of the globe. And I just thought, you know, this was obviously pre-social media, 1998, and virtually pre-internet, um, certainly compared to what we have now. But I just got such a kick out of I was able to interact with these people on such a quirky thing. It is fun still um, when you think of it, um, you know, and, and that and that actually makes me think of a story, too. Just this past year, traveling for a Red Bull game, um, I had a, and listen, we're, we're on the radio. I mean, we do we usually do a social media thing before every game. So I think people have, have become kind of accustomed to who, who I am, who Steve Jolly is. Not that they didn't know Steve because he was a, he was a Metro star Red Bull legend for right. a long time. Um, but just walking through the airport and getting ready to get on planes every once in a while, people will say, Hey, are you 
or if I'm on a flight, sometimes ironically enough, somebody will sit next to me and we'll just start talking and, and, and they'll say, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were Matt Harmon. And it, and it is kind of fun. And again, I, I use the word humbling before to me, it's still very humbling, even 20 something years into this business that, um, that people kind of recognize you and they, and they, you know, give you a, give you kind of a pat on the back. I still think that's a really nice thing. All right. Well, we call the show play by play with me. And, uh, one of the final questions I've been, uh, integrating into this is uh, board games because what's more fun to play than a board game. So in the Harmon household, what is, if anything, the number one board game of choice? Um, it's actually a pretty well-timed question, Mark, because I would say um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a very tense uh, and dramatic game of Monopoly that unfolded huh. um, to the point where, now listen, I, I can be a little bit of a mover and shaker at times. I had made certain um, deals with other people at the t table some that were public and some that were some that were not known just between myself and um, one of the one of the kids. I wound up uh, winning every piece of property and making everyone go bankrupt because I had almost uh, committed myself to getting immunity all the way across the board. Wow. Uh, and it turned out to be um, something that most of my family will probably never forget. And even though it was a good board game, I'm not sure that I will be allowed to play Monopoly with everybody else ever again. <laughs> I think it was Seth Cantrew I had on last week who said he was involved in one of these knockdown drag out type games, just he and his wife. And he wound up winning because she had racked up all the houses and hotels, but then wound up on one of the uh, pay income tax on all your properties and yep. didn't have and didn't have the money to cover it. So he wound up winning on that, or maybe they called it a draw. I forget what he said now, but yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty intense uh, these last couple of months with everybody getting into uh, uh, ways to kill time with their uh, significant others and families. Yeah, it's been it's been fun, and again, um, hopefully you're going to look back at this time period and, and realize that um, it was something that was unique. Hopefully, we will never have to go through this again. But in a lot of ways, you 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 or anybody, myself included. Um, we'll never get this time back. So being able to spend it <clears throat> with my family at home a little bit more than I normally would uh, is something that has become really, really important and really special. Yeah, how is the family handling the situation? Uh, pretty good. I mean, you know, the, the, the homeschooling thing is what it is. Um, my wife, who's a yoga instructor, she's been teaching some online classes like she normally would. I'm wrapping things up at Mammoth for the semester, trying to stay busy with any kind of broadcasting thing that I can get my hands on, um, you know, doing, doing the video chat stuff, hoping that the weather starts to cooperate a little bit more so that we can, we can be outside a little bit. Um, and just, and hoping upon hope that there's some sort of summer for everybody to enjoy. I keep joking. My dog is taking this worst of all because he expects that the wife and I will be out all day. And we haven't set up the, uh, video cameras to spy on him. But I kind of had a feeling that, you know, every once in a while he may have some of his friends from around the neighborhood convene near a window so that they can chat or whatever it is dogs do when nobody's around. Yep. But we joke that every once in a while he's got to, you know, somehow communicate to them that the party's off because mom and dad are home all day. Yeah, no, it's 
it's a different world and everybody's kind of dealing with it in, in their own fashion and in their own way. Um, but like anything else, we'll, we'll, we'll get through it. You'll get through it. And, and, uh, Hopefully everything will be back up and going sooner rather than later. Well, I'm glad you helped me kill a little bit of time on this Wednesday afternoon. Really do appreciate it. Glad things are good. Um, hope everybody stays healthy. And uh, as I mentioned, everybody, when we wrap this thing up, stay safe, stay sane. And as soon as you hit log out, uh, please go wash your hands. Mark, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and talk with you. Um, both about current stuff and even going down memory lane a little bit. Um, you've, you've, you were not only uh, a big influence for me when I first started at Shadow. You continue to be a, uh, a, a good friend and colleague today here in 2020. So I appreciate the time and the invite of coming on the show. Well, I'm glad you've been able to overcome all of that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> He's Matt Harmon. I'm Mark Renee. Hey, Matt, thanks for stopping to play by play with me. Anytime, my friend. I'd be happy to do it anytime you need it.